What's up everyone? This is Pastor Sam. And this is Danny. And together we're exploring the book of Mark. Join us each week as we dive into each chapter outside of our Sunday morning messages as we explore what this book is trying to teach us. And today, chapter 11, the triumph entry. Jesus curses the fig tree. Jesus cleanses the temple. The lesson from the withered fig tree. And lastly, but not least, the authority of Jesus is challenging. We are in it. We are in chapter 11. But Sam, I have a question for you in chapter 11. Okay, you always have questions. I always have questions. Okay. How do you preach 16 chapters in 11 weeks? Through a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's how That's how we preach 16 chapters uh, in 11 weeks. 11? I think it was 12. No? Was it 12? I don't remember anymore. I don't remember. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's how we, as you all know, Easter is coming. Is, uh, in two weeks. In two weeks. And um, we don't have the time to preach chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, as you heard this past Sunday, I preached on chapter 11. Uh, today, we preach on chapter 11. Yeah. And then uh, this, you know, this coming week is Easter. So we are uh, covering the death, resurrection all at once. So, so what we're going to do is over the next several weeks, we will continue to release the chapters. So we will go through like we've been doing, mm-hmm. going through each of the sections and walking through the book of Mark like we, like we, were gonna, like we plan, originally planned. Yeah. So it's just going to look a little different. Yeah, yeah and so, so instead of having a sermon on Sunday morning now for chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, you're just going to have the podcast that will podcast. be released still on Sunday uh, and on. So, yep. yeah, we're committed to this book. We're committed to finish uh, what we started. And so, um, yeah, we're go. excited about that. We're excited about the next sermon series, too. It is. Yeah, we, uh, Danny's uh, opened that series up. Uh, that series is called... Normally, uh, I'm closing series. So, this is the first time I get to open one. Look at you. Got an upgrade. Upgrade. That's right. Uh, we, we're calling Encounters... Falling in love with the divine. That's right. It's uh, official now. You can't change it. That's right. It's out there. Uh, you won't want to miss this next sermon series. You will not want to miss. But chapter 11, that's where Ch- we're at. Chapter 11. So let me just, now that we got some business out of the way, let me just give a little recap of where we're at before we dive into this section. One of the shorter chapters, 20, 33 verses maybe. So it's an easy read. Um, but... As we see the is kind your height of a kind of, <laughs> is your height of a chapter. That's right. Um, so as we've seen, right, Jesus, the time for Jesus' death grows near, nearer and nearer. And Mark recounts several confrontations through the Jewish leaders and the groups that will ultimately seal his seal his the rejection of him mm-hmm. as their Messiah. In chapters nine and ten of Mark's book, he describes Jesus' private ministry really to his disciples. And he's teaching them on a variety of subjects, warning them about things to come, revealing more about his true mission, and so on and so forth. And in chapter 11, which we're going to cover today, and in 12, Jesus will once again face the leaders in what will prove to be his final confrontation hmm. before his arrest, his suffering, and everything else. So that's kind of that kind of teases up to where we're at. So the first section here is the triumphal entry. Yes, a very important passage uh, on the overall uh, ministry of Jesus in the fact that uh, he's claiming his kingship. It is a different way of claiming, right? Yeah. Uh, there's some some choices here that are very um, specific. The choice of, of a donkey or a coat was symbolic of a, a, yeah. cam, a king coming in peace and there's some other stuff. Well, before we even get there, mm-hmm. what I like to point out is like up until this point, what he's been telling everybody, be quiet, don't say anything, sure, yeah, don't say yeah. anything. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. not a, he, he did not, Jesus himself did not publicly announce that he was Messiah, right? He was cryptic. No, he never, term. yeah, he never he was, said, here, this, yeah, he never, I'm here now. No, no he never he, really he was, boasted upon right, it, he for was, sure. He was cryptic in a sense in using the term son of man. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to Daniel, you can kind of connect those things. Sure. And he would instruct even his disciples, the apostles, to tell no one when he when he acknowledged that who he was in, in terms of 
the configurate the transfiguration. And I think I think that's what I love about Jesus. Uh, you know, he never really rode on his title with God on his yeah power on his you know divine status. He he never he was always humble about that. Yeah. He was like, I'll let you figure that one out. I'm not going to be boasting about it. You figure it out and then let you proclaim. I'm not proclaiming. And I'm not even going to endorse you proclaiming. I'm just right. going to be. Yeah. But I love that about Yeah, him. he lets you figure it out. So here we see he's finally ready. Yeah. He's finally ready to reveal his true identity mm -hmm. to everyone. To yeah. the masses, mm -hmm. the religious leaders, the crowds. And he does it in this unique way in writing, which he said was a, a colt or a donkey, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... And he coming to the big city, right? Yeah. Jerusalem. I mean, so many people sometimes don't think about the significance of the town, the, of the city of Jerusalem, right? The mm -hmm. ancient city of Jerusalem has been the flashpoint of many conflicts throughout history. Uh, you know, was f first mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, and was called Salem there, the, the city of peace. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jerusalem uh, became a personal property of David uh, when he breaches its defenses. Um, and then uh, in 587 BC, the city was sacked and destroyed by the Babylonians. You know, uh, Israel has always its enemies, and the Babylonians was one of them. Mm -hmm. Babylonians were cruel people man uh history tells us that they would skin people alive as a way of torturing them babylonians were not good people it uh it was jerusalem was then rebuilt uh after the exile and destroyed uh, you know for its one final time the major destruction was 70 a.d where the, where the temple was also destroyed uh at, you know a thousand years later Muslims, Christians, and Jews claim that town is still, special. Still fighting for it. Still fighting for it. <laughs> uh, Christians and Muslims had a special fight through the Crusades, which, which is a historical piece that we know well. It's not too far off from us. Mm -hmm. And today the city is revered by these three faiths. And uh, the Muslims have a big, big um, mosque there, uh, which is called the Dome of Rock. Uh, there's plenty Christian churches in Jerusalem, but there is no uh, there is no major temple there from the Jewish. Uh, so the city is divided internationally by different treaties today, and uh, uh, but all every single one of, of of these three religions believe that that's where the place where peace will come from. Ultimately, yeah. peace will come from, which is somewhat what Jesus is trying to give the people here: peace, right? Yeah. So if we if we get to the passage here, it looks at it talks about he drew near to Jerusalem. He's coming in. It says that he's coming from you know the Mount of Olives. Uh, yeah, there's a significant thing about this place, the Mount of Olives. Uh, it was about two hundred feet higher than the Mount Zion. It was about less than a mile directly east of Jerusalem. Wow. And uh, it's known for its olive trees, obviously, but. It's also known for a lot of other things too as well when we think about the Bible, right? It, it was the path of David's retreat from Jerusalem mm. to escape capture of Absalom when he was running. It was on this mountain Solomon grieved God by erecting idols for his foreign wives to worship. Ezekiel witnessed the glory of God on the Mount of Olives. Mm. Jesus now, the mm -hmm. son of David, makes his royal entry into Jerusalem from this very same month. Wow, so, that's well, I did not know that. That's cool. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I did know that the the the, the journey between uh, Bethany, from Bethany to uh, Jerusalem, which would go through the mountain, maybe right. Yeah, uh, that's a two mile drive. Drive. Two mile, so that's yeah. not too bad. So talk to me about this cult here. So if we get into the text here, it's very Jesus gives some very specific instructions to the disciples he does i think it, it talks about his sovereignty here right a little yeah. bit in the fact that he knows what's ahead uh he uh, what do you want to know i think i feel like uh, i was reading uh earlier uh this week about how some people think well some the whoever you talk about the cult right the yeah the cult yeah so some some i was reading a little bit about some people think that that was uh the cult the guy the person who had the cult has to be acquainted with uh, has to be acquaintances with Jesus 
had to know Jesus in some way. Yeah. Because when the disciples get there, mm-hmm. they just say the master wanted and the people let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say it would probably, uh, because of it was because it was in Bethany, uh, that the the uh, that the dunk was found. That's where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were from. Yeah. So, maybe so some people lived. people say that uh, maybe were theirs. Yeah, he lined uh, it up maybe before. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <coughs> um, regardless, uh, the dunking has the significance that was stated earlier. Uh, the choice of it symbol symbolizes. Well, it goes back to prophecy, right? Sure, yeah. In Zechariah chapter nine, nine verse nine. nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have it up? You want to read it there? I don't have it up, but well, I just I, know. I got it here. Okay. Zechariah nine verse nine says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on mm-hmm. a donkey." See, mm-hmm. they rhyme. Uh, on a coat, the you know that I can't donkey. figure out how it rhymes. This <laughs> English don't rhyme. <laughs> so, so there's this prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah, how he mm-hmm. would bring peace and salvation. Yeah. To your point, to what you talk about in your sermon. Yeah. And the prophet said that the Savior would come riding on a on a coat, right? Mm-hmm. Th- there's there's something interesting. bringing peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's something interesting about this, right? That I that I found. Tell Up me. until this point, what has Jesus been doing? Walking. Everywhere he's going, mm-hmm. he's walking. Mm-hmm. Disciples walking. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that I found in the Bible, and I've looked, where Jesus rides an animal. True, and this and this was an un, this untamed. Animal, un, it was never ridden. Never ridden. Right? Yeah. So For, that's important too. Why? Do you know? Do you remember? It shows his sovereign, his his authority over creation. Oh, okay. Because uh, naturally. A donkey that hasn't been ridden wants to buck you off. One doesn't allow you to ride. Now, oh. now in Matthew's account, there's there, there's statements of possibly maybe two donkeys with the mother maybe walking the mo- along yeah, sure, sure, to kind yeah. of make him feel at ease. But uh-huh. to me, I think it's it's all demonstrate his authority over creation. Oh well, I on my studies I was taken to the fact that in my uh, the fact that the donkey was never set is. Uh, talks about his divinity yeah. of the fact that Certainly. there is a right place before God that nobody will ever see that is his place to see so the idea that um, uh, when uh, when a king comes to conquer a place he was supposed to come on a white horse, a horse yes. and he would uh, he would <clears throat> come in on a white horse uh, a war horse and and then the inhabitant the, the the people who lived there knew that they were conquered, and so the judgment came, and the destruction would come through that king, through that city. Uh, and then, so, uh, the fact that Jesus is coming here uh, on a donkey, he's approaching there, uh, it, it is the same idea, mm-hmm. but the fact that uh, he came, he's coming bringing peace instead of bringing war, right? And then there is even a later rabbinic um, studies or tradition that said the Messiah would return to Israel uh, ready. If Israel was not ready, the Messiah would return seated on a donkey, on a colt. Mm-hmm. So there is a tradition, a rabbinic tradition that said, hey, if the Messiah come and Israel is not ready, he will come seated on a, on a colt. Now, if Israel is ready, he is going to come on seated on a horse. Hmm. Well, if you think about the biblical narrative, <laughs> what happened in Revelation? How does Jesus come rolling in, in Jerusalem horse. on a wild horse? So there'll be a, po- a time where Jerusalem will be ready for it, uh, where Jesus is going to come seated on a white horse, and that's Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, or verse, chapter 19, verse 11. So come in there, the true king. He would, then, then he will come as a true king. He is a true king, but come in as how the world would as, expect. Would mm-hmm. have expected. Yeah, but here, so here's where I'm going to go back to what I was saying earlier uh, about the donkey being untamed or never be sit on. Yeah. Uh, and both of this imagery, 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 yeah. imagery of Jesus coming on the donkey on the horse means that he's going to sit at the throne that nobody has ever been seated before. Yeah. So theologically, it has those implications yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah. you are completely right about his yeah, I mean, uh, I think dominance both, over this, this spiritual world. Yeah. Interesting stuff to, to, to kind of pick up on. So I guess the last thing really from this section is that uh, I just want to point out that the people, they may not have truly understood what they were doing in this case here, but they, they, they were correct in addressing him as the anointed one, yes. as the one who was to come, right? Yes. Um, 
and also the fact that they say Hosanna. Hosanna means please save me. Yes, that's right? a, yes. So it's good their, job it's bringing their that up. acknowledgement of of their need for mm-hmm. a savior. Mm-hmm. The and and I think that's one of the things that um, I think it is important. I do not touch on the sermon the fact that what Hosanna means and the significance yeah. of that crying out. In a different passage uh, that retells the same story. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders, the religious leaders, come to Jesus and say, Tell your people to shush. <laughs> Tell the people to shush. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If they shush, yeah. the rocks will cry out. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Wait, where is that in? Isn't that in Matthew? I don't know. I'm just recollection. <laughs> You're always doing this to me, Danny. I don't know, man. I don't need to know everything, do it's, I? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible somewhere. I'll find it for you here. Someone finds it for us and give but, it to us. Uh, no. Uh, so... So let's see if it is in Matthew. Uh, the, uh, uh, no, it is not in Matthew. Most crowds spread the claws in this light, so maybe it's in Luke. In Luke chapter 22. Let's see. But, uh, and then if it is not, we're it's in trouble Luke, here. Luke 19. Luke 19. Chapter, verse 40. Verse 40. Yeah, so, and then the first is in, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So, uh, so there was nothing stopping. The nothing is stopping the proclamation of Jesus nothing as stopped. the messianic uh, king, yeah. and that he would walk in in the city as a as a symbolization of his conquering uh, of the town, not in a military way, but really in a spiritual way, yeah. freeing God's people from the bondage of sin. So let's let's switch gears a little bit now and move on to the next section of Pericope, which is Jesus curses the fig tree, uh, verse twelve through fourteen. I mean, we had to talk about the sandwiching, right? Yeah. Like sandwiching. so, you have that's, fig tree. It's called the Marquean sandwich. That's right. It's, <laughs> we should create a restaurant and have a sandwich like that, because that's what Mark does throughout his whole yeah. gospel. I think most of us have picked that up by now. He he puts. The meat right in the middle, and then he have the buns, right? Yeah. So he has the fig tree, and then he has the fig tree, and the last the one, one the fig tree is cursed. The fig tree is withered. They just found yeah. it, but in the middle of it, there is the temple. And I believe uh, that all of those things are teaching oh, one yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I I same as well. I mean, so so let let's first. Let's start with the, the top the top layer of the sandwich, right? Where mm-hmm. he curses the fig tree. So basically, he sees this thing that looks like it should be fruitful, right? That's what it looked like. It appears, oh, this thing has... And he's hungry. It says he's hungry. So he goes to the fig tree, mm-hmm. and there's no fruit. <laughs> there is no fruit. <laughs> and most people say that was... Un- I mean... It's you read a, it, and then a, you're a, like, man, how, how far is this to the fig tree itself? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, what do you know? Like, it is not supposed to be given tree f- fruit, right? And at Isn't least it? in this time, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a season. They say that in this part of the world, the fig tree sprout their leaves about March and April, somewhere around there. They generally bear fruit in June. Yeah. So the Passion Week extends itself from uh, the tenth to the seventh day of the Jewish calendar month calendar called the Nisan which is March and April, somewhere around there. So. In the 33 AD, since Jewish calendar is not is, is a lunar one, not a solar one like ours, the closest determination we can we can make is that uh, this incident would have occurred, occurred between March and April. Yeah. So, you know, March and April, you just have fruit in June. That's a long difference of time. And then here is Jesus curse in the fig tree yeah i mean when i was doing some reading on this it said that fig trees normally produce three crops one in june as you said august and also in december mm-hmm. but they produce the fruit first and then the leaves come to announce that the fruit is ready oh. so in here if you're looking at it and mm-hmm. you see leaves and full foliage what are you thinking there's fruit, there's fruit because so. the fruit comes first, mm-hmm. the leaves and everything else comes after to announce that there's fruit. It goes there. Is, there's a there's no fruit. no fruit. Do you think Jesus was grumpy that day? Do you think Martha <laughs> didn't give him Bethany's where 
Martin Mary and you know Lazarus from so let's suppose that he was staying at their house. Do you think okay. Martha didn't cook him breakfast that day? He had to go up the mountain, him? man, and come down. That's a long hike. Well, yeah, that's sure. burning calories. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but with all jokes aside, uh, you know, people talk about just being grumpy and whatever. It, I think that's silly at times that we engage in conversations like that. Maybe not. I don't know. But everything that Jesus does, he does with a purpose. Purpose and it's righteousness. Yeah. It's about righteousness. Yeah. But I mean, even even peeling back this one, peeling back the thing on the thing on this one. Oh. Uh, Do you peel a fig tree? Uh, yeah, you gotta start at the top. Oh my <laughs> word! It's not a banana, Danny. What is a fig? It's the same thing. I have no idea. I don't think I've ever eaten a fig. Uh, um, but it's an it's it's a symbolism. He cursed the fig tree. with a symbolism because. Mm-hmm. The nation had, in a sense, like this fig tree, had full foliage, announcing it has fruit. Here he's looking at the nation, mm-hmm. and they had full foliage in the sense that it had great religious history, ceremonies, the temple, but no spiritual faith. Yeah. No obedience. Yeah. When the Messiah came to the nation in order to seek its fruit, he found that there was none. Yeah. It was only a pretense and a promise. And for this reason... He destroys the fig tree, and, and I think it's an interpretation of the of the you know in a sense a precourse to the clearing of the temple because of the reasons you just yeah. said the people there's no fruit there, and maybe even to for the for the futuristic aspect of the destruction of the temple that happens, you know, few years down the road in seventy A.D. Uh, this is action here. It was all about the, to, with the fig tree. It was all about. The teaching and what was going on in the, in the temple. Yeah, it's about you know showing uh, signs like this tree. This tree showed signs of life. It showed signs of productivity, but when in reality it was barren. Yeah. Right. The same was true for Israel at the time. Israel, especially in the case of his religious leaders, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they looked righteous. They looked godly. Right. Mm-hmm. Talked about that. He talked about that. Right. Whitewashed tombs and all this stuff. But on the inside, they were corrupt. They, yes. And, and their lack of faith meant that they too was also barren. And, and let's talk about that corruption a little bit on the temple. So let's move on to the temple here. Yeah. The, the temple is supposed to be where God's presence was, where you'd be forgiven from your sins. You know, that's where uh, every... So this is the on the background of this passage is the, is the Passover. I said that on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem on a, on a regular day, 30,000 people. On this on this season of Passover, over two hundred thousand people. So we expect people are coming from everywhere to go to the temple to atone for their sins, right? Yeah. So there's a so there's a lot of significance to the people here of what's going on, and so the temple was that place where God resigned. It has always that was His always presence, the interpretation, yeah. uh, right there. So. Uh, and then uh, Jesus comes to the temple and he sees some things that he didn't like, right? Uh, so uh, there's many different reasons, there's many different debates on why Jesus clears the temple. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about some of them? What, what, what are you thinking? What do you, did your research uh, led you to anything? Well, I mean, I think we, we know that this this actually fulfills a prophecy okay. in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, he fulfills a prophecy of this because the Jews were defiling the temple in various ways, right? The temple was meant was a place for, as you said, the presence of God. So the sacrificing of animals was done. The temple tax was paid. In order to do this, all these merchants were supposed to be there on the outside, but here they are on the inside. So they have perverted the purpose of God's God's place. And in essence, Jesus is like, if this is where his presence, he's coming home, and you've you've messed up my house. You, you, this is not the purpose of my house. This is the place of God. He calls him a place of a den of robbers. Yeah. Is what he uses. And, and, yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, I think it's a couple of many reasons, right? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons they really were profiting. There is a profiting from the religious leader for what was going on there. Yeah. Uh, they were, Jesus says, this is, uh, my house shall be called a, a house of prayer for all nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, people say that uh, where these, these merchants were, were, where the Gentiles, all the other people from the other nations would come to be in God's presence. So they were taking that space out. 
That's another, maybe another reason for Jesus. One that is really highlights here for me is this one that the the money changers and the uh, uh, verse, uh, uh, and he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pageants. Uh, I, I think that's significant that Mark put that in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ran into your studies that the, the pigeons were the sacrifices that the poor individuals would make. Pigeons were not something that... Um, they didn't have like the money to get like a lamb. No, that's like exactly. That. It goes back to Leviticus chapter 5 verse 7. Uh, so, uh, and the Mishnah records that during Jesus' time, the price of the doves in the temple market soared. So this account uh, accounts for Jesus' anger here, in yeah. my opinion. That so now not only the nations cannot worship, the poor cannot worship. Uh, you know, uh, regular people cannot be in God's presence. Uh, I think Jesus were not happy about the fact that only the high rollers were being able to fulfill well, that which God had planned for them in Leviticus. Well, commerce trumps communion. Oh, commerce trump the commun- the commerce for the people trump the communion with God that sure. we're supposed to have. That is, That's essentially what's happening here. That is, that is, and so Jesus is not happy of the fact that this was a place for everyone, now has become a place for some. Place of communion, not commerce. But here's the thing, though, doesn't the church does that today in well, many ways? <laughs> well, I thought the church was for <laughs> everyone, but then at times it feels like it is just for some, for selected few that uh, meet some specific requirements and then the rest we're not very interested about interested about it and i think that's a is an important thing for, for us to think and ponder as 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 a religious leader of of today of the 21st century that as pastor you and i as we as we lead the Christian church i think it is it is important for us to notice two things here that jesus rebuked the 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 gains the personal gains of the religious leaders of the time mm-hmm. that they were having over this. Uh, and then the fact that they were selecting those uh, who would be and who would not be part of of what God has for everyone. Yeah. The, I was reading that the temple had several courtyards around it. And one mm-hmm. of them was an area for the Gentiles. This was reserved for where people who had converted to the Jewish faith from other nations, they would come. So they were they were not giving themselves a proper place to work. They had a, an area that they had to go to. Mm-hmm. And they would make, uh, because they weren't directly descended from Abraham, these Gentile converts could not enter the courtyard that was reserved for the Jews, nor could they even enter the inner courtyard where the priest could only go. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you can see, they're perverting the use. Disrespecting. Yeah. So it's it's a, uh, of course um, he he's uh, he's uh, turning over tables and you know, money changes and stuff because the place that was meant for the people we've now using it for different things what it was not meant to be. Yeah, and and we didn't even talk much about the temple itself, how beautiful it was, how oh, crazy so of our architecture mag- it was, how much work has been put into creating these. I mean, uh, the, the the I say that the top of the of the Golden Dome, which is the mosque that is there today, they say that while it was there today, if you go to Jerusalem today, the dome is there. The top of the dome will reach the bottom. It would reach only the bottom of the door seals of the Jewish temple. How hmm. crazy is that? The door, the bottom of the doors, the top of what is today there, which I have never been there. Yeah. I'm assuming it's big. I have seen a picture. I assume yeah. it's huge. At that, at that place, it would be at the bottom of the doors. Uh, they said that some of the foundations, stones were larger than any of the blocks of the pyramid in Egypt. That's uh, huge. They were made of marble and pure gold. Uh, no I mean, one, no this wonder, is no wonder they're fighting for that land. <laughs> uh, now tell me about it. I mean, t- tell me about the rich marble and gold. Like you have marble uh, carnet tops in your house, so you. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Only marbles I have is the one in bags that I bought that has like twelve in them. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're like we played back the, back, back in, in the day, day when we were kids. Pitch, yeah. yeah, I took people up here. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, draw a circle. Let's drop. B- b- that's Let's right. Play. And then they play. They yeah. uh, they don't know that. No. Uh, most I 
Man, how much fun we had growing up. I forgot about we foreigners. Uh, but uh, here, you know, the, the this, um, they say that this temple had 170,000 square yards uh, on it. Uh, it. It was huge. Uh, you know, the old city of David was located south of the temple. Uh, the temple in Jesus' days was the result of a continual work. After many years, uh, many centuries of work on it, uh, and Herod the Great uh, began to remodel it at 20 BC, uh, and his massive expansion of the temple of the remodeling was done right before uh, the seven when it was destroyed in 70 AD. But it all started with uh, Solomon in 587, and then the second temple uh, was. Uh, Redone or, or re, rebuilt by Zerubbabel, uh, and then Herod finished the temple 70 AD, and right after that, the Romans uh, destroyed it. So, um, uh, yeah, so a lot of good stuff there in the temple. Obviously, you know, I think it's important because, as Jesus said, he's in these verses, yeah. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer mm. for all nations? Yes. And I think, I think that's, that's, that was quite the opposite when, when, they call, when they're making it to be like a den of robbers. So, so if you go back to the fig tree and, and yeah. compare the fig tree and the temple, both of them were supposed to, uh, to be fruitful uh, yeah. and to bring fruit, and they were not. And, and, I think, and I think since the beginning, since Genesis chapter 1, God have commanded fruit fruitfulness from his people yeah right uh, we we there is something to do with us here oh right? yeah the, the cursing of the fig tree we points to, to the destruction of the temple the destruction of the temple points to the lack of fruit in the life of god's people fruitfulness was part of israel covenant responsibility towards god it is part of our, our work with Jesus today is to be fruitful. Uh, what does it mean to be fruitful, though? What, what, what do you think that means? God expects His people to bear fruit for His glory. What, what does that mean for us today? Well, I think, you know, in order to bear fruit, we have to, we have, to have good soil, right? Okay. There's a parable that talks about that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The parable of the sower. Mm -hmm. So where, when I think about fruitfulness in my mm -hmm. life, I try to look around and see how how is God using the gifts and talents that He's given me to further the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So each and every one of us have to look at where where we're producing fruit, because we can look like we're producing fruit just like that fig tree, but there's a lack of spiritual vitality inside of us. Mm -hmm. So we need to have we need to have that honest conversation. We need to ask God to show us where is the fruit in my life, and sometimes we have to start replanting. <laughs> You know, meaning that we need to replant ourselves in the word of God, no, sure. into what God has for us. Mm -hmm. Because you can't bear fruit if you don't have the person to help facilitate. Well, yeah, I mean, you go back to John chapter 15, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Yeah. You know, you can do nothing apart from me. And I think uh, the idea of replanting ourselves into God's word is reconnecting ourselves to the root of it all, which is Jesus himself. Uh, I think... Many of us uh, go through the um, to the motion of just being being having leaves or yeah, all, being in the temple, all like of, you yeah. know. All of us at one point have stopped watering the watering the plant. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. When we don't water the plant, there there's a consequence of that. That's right. And the plant dies. True. So we need to see how are we watering? How are we watering in a sense? How are we growing? How are we seeking? How are we cultivating that which yes that God has wanted to to produce in us? And and I think many of us are oblivious to the fact that uh, we ought to produce fruit. And if we don't, and, and the produce fruit here has to do maybe a little bit sometimes with deeds, works. Yeah. And I and and I'm not I'm not so sure I should go, we should go to the works of things like helping the poor or praying more or um or um. A lot of people look at the fruit of fruit being the church's responsibility too. Oh. But it's an individual thing because the church is the body, right? Yeah. So they can't just say, well, only Pastor Sam has to produce fruit. Mm -hmm. No, you have the responsibility in your life just as well as each and every one of us to produce fruit. 
Can I define produce food as in the willingness to allow the Holy Spirit of God to move in our hearts to produce that which is from God to us? Yeah. In us and Say through us? <laughs> I can't. Uh, go back 10 seconds. Uh, it is the willingness to allow the Holy Spirit of God to move in us, to bring upon God's will in our lives, to produce in us and through us that which God has for us. Right? And yeah. I think that's what... Uh, that, that's what producing fruit is because if we're gonna equate fruit with works then uh, we, we leave faith behind I think we need to put faith first and then the work comes yeah. after so it's, all, it's trusting that God has a work to do in our lives and trusting that he'll bring about will that we should open up of our hearts and allow him to bring those things through us and in us so there must be a willingness in us to let God do some things in us uh, and yeah. I think it's more about letting God than really doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, when you, as you say that, the word obedience just comes to mind. Oh. Right? Just being obedient. Perfect. Um, I like that. Obedient to the will of God. Obedient mm -hmm. to the Holy Spirit's lead, the call into your life. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we're, we, we get that nudge. We get that feeling like, you know, I should be obedient in this space here. Mm -hmm. But then we don't. Mm -hmm. And when we don't is we're not, we're not producing fruit. So I think I think you're right. It's about the will of God, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and our willingness to allow that to help facilitate how we live our life. Yes, and I think when we when we uh, allow God to when we are through obedience, faith, and obedience, allowing God to produce some things in us because we can do nothing apart from Him. I think great things happen, which I think it is the 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 the, the point of the verses twenty to twenty five here. Is you know uh, they are coming back and on and then they uh, so yeah he, let's do this let's do this we 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 read a book together yeah. that talks about the times right yeah Sunday what happened Sunday Sunday was the entry triumphal the, entry the triumphal entry Monday Jesus was, he was in the he, he goes he curses the fig tree and goes into the temple yeah and then on Tuesday, Tuesday they come he's back he's coming back. And they and pass they, the fig tree. They pass the fig tree, and then Peter's just, like, "Oh, master, remember what you said about that fig tree? Check it out, bro." That's right. <laughs> and then Jesus, instead of elaborating on why and how and what, he <laughs> goes on to tell uh, to tell two 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 lessons: a lesson on uh, prayer and faith, right? Mm -hmm. Faith and prayer. Yep. Uh, and. Uh, but I think that's interesting. He completely bypasses. Jesus never offer explanation why the cursing, or why the the, the cleansing of the, the of the um, of the temple. To hey, let's talk about faith and, and prayer here. Because you have to have faith when you're praying. Because a lot of times when we pray, if you pray with, uh, you you cannot pray without faith. In a sense that, in the trusting that God sure. can, can answer. Well, and I think uh, you made a joke in, uh, earlier today when we were reading over it. Claiming and... Uh, name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. I mean, there, 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 I shouldn't even say this out loud, maybe. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I might get fired after this podcast. But there is somewhat a claiming and... Speaking it out and receiving, though, like there is a what is it that you said again? Well, the Bible tells us, Ask and you shall receive, yes, knock and the door will be open. That's right. Like, so there, how can you tell me if I'm gonna pray and not expect my prayers to be answered? Yes, so there is a little bit of that. Yeah, you, I, have, you have to have confidence in, 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 in who God. you're praying to. Yes, yes, yes. So you have to have confidence that the prayers that you're making will be answered, will be heard, and will be answered. Yeah. I think the thing that kills Christians here is the entitlement oh, yeah. mentality. Oh, yeah. It's not that God would listen. It is not that God wouldn't do it. It's not that God would want to do it. It's the entitlement that kills us. Yeah, I mean, parents could agree with that. Oh, Think okay. about your kids. <laughs> True. Entitlement, right? Like, yeah, uh, and I think entitlement takes us away from God rather than draw us closer to God. And I think the reasons why sometimes our prayers are not answered or uh, is not the fact that God, we, that God is that entitlement kills faith. That's what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. I just, I mean, I don't know if this even makes sense as I was thinking about here. We're talking about entitlement. Entitlement is like your want versus dependency mm -hmm. is a need. Sure. 
right? Like yeah. so, if we, we you know we just talk to find wants and needs or whatever, uh, we here we were talking in the staff meeting, but I mean I don't know if that's a, I, like I said this is coming to me right now. That's what I think about like entitlements. I want that, so I should get it. Mm-hmm. Dependency, this is my need. Yeah, we're dependent on God. Yeah, and, and Jesus. Uh, a lot of people read these verses like, "Well, can you get a mountain and throw it in the?" <laughs> Jesus is using a hyperbole. Hi- hyperbole. Yeah. He been he been doing this for throughout this whole gospel. Mark has been doing this. Like yeah. Jesus uses up this huge uh, language just to to wake you up. It's a hyperbole of something that is possible. So take up and throw it in the sea. If you got, if you have faith in God, truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, take it and throw it in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, uh, that he says will come to pass, will be, uh, and it will be done for him. Jesus is saying that there is like this element of faith in prayer that if you don't doubt, you will get what you want. And James does the same thing, right? Now, if you don't doubt. There is a blessings coming your way. You can yeah. have a, a wavering mind. You can have a wavering heart. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the biggest lessons we can take from this section of the passage is the power of prayer. Mm. Is the power that prayer has in our lives. And a lot of us, we don't go to prayer first. We go to prayer as a last resort. Now, I'm not saying people don't go to prayer first. I'm saying the majority of people find themselves praying only when it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> true. <laughs> it's sad, um, but it's true. Yeah. It is so true. We, uh, God is the, we try everything before we try God. Yes. We ask everyone else before we ask God. It's just how, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, it, it, it is, um, the, le- the l- prayer is the lifeline of the Christian. Mm-hmm. Is the air we breathe. Mm-hmm. It should be the food that nourishes our body, but it's actually the thing we neglect the most. Yes. I mean, how many of us have prayer life? I'm not talking about saying, good morning, Jesus. Thank you for today. Bless my day today. Amen. Or thank you for today. Um, um, give me a good night's sleep tonight, God. Mm-hmm. Amen. No, I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about a, a prayer life where yeah. you are communicating with God your most intimate needs. Communicate with God the things that are bothering you, the things that you're struggling with, the things that are really in the in the forefront of the necessities of life for you. The most important, the most important conversation you will ever have in any given day is the one that you have with God. Mm. The most important, hands that. down. The most important conversation is the one that you have with God. But I can guarantee you, not many people are having conversations with God. Uh, you know, you, you know me. I have been. I have. I'm a little bit of a of a pain when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, people always want me to keep me accountable. Uh, you know, which I'm all for it. I want me to be part of different uh, groups where you are uh, telling your secrets for people. It's as if I have a secret. My life is open. Uh, Transparency. But, we had to be transparent and open with everyone and at every moment. If you you hiding stuff away, that's you can't hide it from God. So God's already seen. So that's a problem right there for you, right? So uh, there is this. Um, so there there is this idea that uh, we can hide things from people. And can like you can't hide anything. Eventually, it'll come up. It'll it'll, it'll bubble up the surface. Yeah. But so here's the first thing. First first person you should be transparent to is God Himself. Like he already knows, so might he, as well come up. Might open. as well as you go. You know, if you have a problem with addiction, if you're trying to hide from your spouse, guess what? God knows it. Yeah. If you if you have some financial problem and you try to hide from your boss, guess what? God knows it. If you if I don't know what is the secrets out there. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it doesn't matter really. The yeah. fact is here is that God knows it. So if if you already knows it, should you should. Find freedom already to talking to him about what's going on. Oh, oh yeah, start the. And I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to other people <coughs> about it. You should, because you need yeah. community, you need a company, a companionship, you need accountability. But it has to start with God. To go to other people first, and then go to God. That for me is a disservice. Go to God, and then God will guide you to who to talk to to about the different things in your it's life. It's all about who you start with, right? The yeah. one who can answer, who actually has a say in how things can work out for you, mm-hmm. play out for you. We forego that a mm-hmm. lot of times. 
we we do that if we think about our own human relationships sometimes sure. right we go to all these different places if we have a conflict with someone or something like that we we try to go these different ways and we just go straight to the source mm-hmm. that's what god wants us to do and when and when you're going to the source you got to start with humility and acknowledging who you are that's what he talks about here like you know if you have Ask for forgiveness because there's areas in your life that you need forgiveness. That's God is willing to forgive. That's what he says. That, well, and that's what I think where it is. I mean, if you start with God, if you re, because of your secrets or your messes or whatever, if you come to God with it and you ask, you repent and ask Him for forgiveness, He will forgive you, which will give you in return the opportunity to forgive other people for yeah. the trespasses they get against you. You get it from God what you Pass give to the other people. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying. You start with who? That was God, the source. That exactly it. A lot of people want to for, don't forgive other people because they don't feel they have been forgiven by God. Why? Well, because you're not talking to God about the things that He already knows and He's ready to forgive you about. He can't He can't really forgive to your life if you don't come to Him for forgiveness. And you know the biggest thing that forgiveness does? It frees us. It frees us oh. from the bondage. It frees us from the the, the 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 consequences that we have for that. And and when you live in that, you live in in true in the true identity that what God has called you to, and not in the old self. You oh. know, uh, that's what Second Corinthians tells us. Second five seventeen. We're a new creation, no and every t- and no longer held to those things. Mm-hmm. And I think, but it's not only forgiveness, Danny. And we we have talked about this at the CC many times. You know, you can't love someone if you don't feel loved by God. You have your source of love has to be God first. Then you get what it takes to love on other people, especially yeah. your spouse. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of spouse trying to be better husband or better wives. Uh, yeah. To their to their husband and wives or whatever, and they start by uh, trying to change their hearts on their own by reading books, by going yeah. to a counselor and all this stuff. Listen, you need to be loved by God first yeah. to, in order to be able to... All those things good, but oh, great. start with the right perspective. It's, that's that's the start point I'm trying God. to make. Yes. Yeah, that's the yes. point we are trying to make. Start exactly. with God, then go get all the yeah. resources to pass that along. Yeah. But it has to start with God. We can't start with the counselor. We can't start with the doctor. We can't start with... No, yeah. we have to start with God. I think about... I, I, what I'm thinking in my mind here is like I was watching a show the other day. And uh, they were solving all these puzzles. No, we went to a we went to a um, a um, escape room. Okay. And you had to like so you had all these little puzzles, things like that, and you had all these different codes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you had to get this one code, which was the last thing that in, that we found. And once we got that last thing in, everything else made sense. So it's like this code that you're trying. If I'm using this analogy in a way, mm-hmm. but if you start with God, everything else makes F- sense. Yeah, up until that point, everything is chaotic. That's because right. I'm trying this, I'm trying that, I'm mm-hmm. talking to the counselor, mm-hmm. talking to my friends, mm-hmm. I'm trying, I'm changing mm-hmm. how I'm living, I'm mm-hmm. doing all these things. Mm-hmm. It's not working. Mm-hmm. Why is it not working? It's not mm-hmm. connected to God. That's right. <laughs> you, you said it. I don't need to elaborate on it. That we're done. I think that's it. I like all right. That. So the last section on yeah, I know we went really long on that part. Is, is the fact that they challenge Jesus' authority again. Yeah, I mean, they never gets it. And there's only one part of this here that, that puzzles me. I mean, you can, you can, if you have some other things to talk about, you can. There's only one thing that bothers me about this here. Go for it. What is it? I don't have it. It's in the best. It's chapter 20, 32. Okay. Uh, uh, this says, so... The, the, the they are challenging Jesus with authority, you do this, and Jesus is like, well, let me ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. Jesus asked them, uh, is John, uh, what, to was which authority baptism? was John the baptism baptizing? And they were like, oh, if we say uh, he is not from God, then the people will be mad at me. They're going to, you Cause, know. Cause, because the people love John, right? The, yeah, they had yeah. a love for John. Mm-hmm. They believe he was a prophet. So if they, if they say... It wasn't from John. Now, it, if they it say it was from, from, God. from God, it would be, and then if it did, it, so that, and they're in a catch 22. Yeah. So put they say in. that they were afraid because the people would stone them, would be, you know, they were afraid of the people, for they, they all held John uh, really as a prophet. So they were afraid of, of passing judgment on John because of the people. Where was the people for Jesus? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? The yeah. Pharisees and the yeah, Sadducees, the scribes. If, 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 John the, if John the Baptist truly prepared the way, 
then you're asking where are the people for who John prepared the way for Jesus. So they're for Jesus ultimately. Oh, oh, yeah, why why wasn't the scribes afraid of attacking Jesus because of the people? The people was what pro- provide protections to the ministry of John. Why right. didn't the people provide the same protection to the ministry of Jesus? Does that make sense what I'm trying makes to say? Makes sense. I, I, that's I, what I, that's the, all, the my bigger puzzle here is like where if if they if they were they couldn't answer because they were afraid of passing judgment on John's ministry because the people held John in such a high standard. So if they knock it down to to catch on Jesus, yeah. they would get in trouble with the people. What was the people when Jesus needed them to protect him from the judgment of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They were not there because he was crucified. And and that <laughs> that part that part really gets on me like. You know, Jesus didn't have... Nobody had Jesus back. No one stood up for him, no. No, he, the people stood up for John, who was just a... He was... Just he, a preparation for yeah. Jesus. The he, guy, he, the real deal He was, he was the warm-up act. Jesus, yeah, he was the warm-up. Jesus is the main event. <laughs> and, but here's the thing. How many of us go to a, a show and, the, and the, the first people that come singing, we don't even clap their heart? Right, yeah. The warm-up act, yeah. we didn't even Some, class sometimes we Sometimes that's when we go use the restroom, get our food. That's exactly <laughs> it. Like, oh, the main thing's not here. So let, let's go get our what we need. Yeah. And then we wait. To, we come and wait for the main yeah. show. And and here is everybody clapping to the open act, cheering the open act. And then when the, the real deal came in, the real act, the big number come in, you're like, Let's go get our hot dog and let's go get our drink yeah. and let's go. Let, let, and let. you would you would think with what we've been reading so far that there would be more, right? Because of all the miracles he's performed, all the I mean, John didn't do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you would think, if I'm reconciling this from a thought, I'm like, oh, you're deaf. Yeah, definitely. This is the guy. But that 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 puzzles me too. You got me on that one. <laughs> I, I think. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just that puzzles me. Uh, and I don't have any more else to say. Well, I think this right here it just shows just Jesus' divine nature here, and the fact that he knew exactly he knew exactly what yeah. was in their thoughts, what was in their minds, and he he, uh, he caught them in their own game. I, well, yeah, Jesus was like, "You're playing games. I'm playing no game. I just know what you guys are doing. We're not." I yeah. think he shut them up here, and I think oh, that's he did. Funny. Well, this was I think this was a this was a, this was the what they say the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, that's this, that's, is, this is the one. Yeah, right this, here. This, this is the one. Embarrass them big time. Enough. And after this, I think things really start to set off. And, and as we read through the next couple of chapters, we kind of see that happening. Yeah. So. so there you have it. Chapter 11. A lot of stuff in this chapter. It's a, it's, it's. I thought you said it was short. <laughs> well, I think we spent like 20 <laughs> minutes alone talking about the temple and the prayer stuff, which is good stuff. That, that is good. Good, good information. It's good information. It's good for me, anyways. But uh, but anyway, hey, we we're excited. I mean, this is this is an exciting time. Uh, believe it or not, for, for to be a Christian around Easter time, uh, Amen. It's, it's the it's it's the it's the the ultimate remembrance and celebration of of what God has done for us in sending Jesus. And that's what we want to do here over the next, you know, this as we got done with this past week serving the triumphal entry. And you did a great job on that sermon. Just um, if you, if no one's listened to that, go back, take a listen to that as we gear up for Easter week here at Delaware Christian Church. Cool. We want to invite you too. If you're listening to this before Easter, come check us out at Delaware Christian Church, 2280 West William Street. We got services at 9 and 1045. It's going to be exciting Easter. We're excited for it. Anything else on this chapter, Sam, before we drop off? No, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah, nothing else for me too as well. Nothing else to add. I think we said it all as we can. But uh, as always, as we sign off, we say... Be blessed. Be blessed and have a great one, everyone.